0: (laughs) take two welcome back to the original judo podcast uh we are back again this this may be like the the fourth podcast in four weeks it may be the fourth one in four months i don't know yet you know i've recorded them all i've promised people i'm gonna get them out but we will wait and see but today guys Uh, The both of you that are listening, today is a big one. Super excited. We started this year, we started this runner shows with Judo Royalty, with uh, the one and only Kate Howie. And I am delighted to have some more Judo Royalty on. Uh, The latest, I'm going to call him the latest king of British Judo. Uh, Absolutely superb, absolute honour to have on um, Chris Skelly MBE paralympic tokyo paralympic 2021 champion uh chris how are you doing well
1: thank you james for that kind introduction uh i think there may be the, the king word might be uh overused there. there's there's plenty of words people might call me but i think the king's not one of it you're being really <laughs>
0: modest like he off air he demanded that i call him that he says he's the biggest star oh, in British you know, right go, now oh,
1: here we go since getting the MBA, everyone <laughs> at the centre has given me so much grief. And the worst thing is, I we I heard you say Kate Howie, and I gave so much grief to Kate Howie. About having the MBA <laughs> Kate like Howie that.
0: MBA.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then as soon as I got I got given an MBA, she just messaged me and gave me so much grief. <laughs> and it, yeah, I, it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing thing to be awarded. But the lads don't let me forget it. <laughs>
0: it's a it's a it's a small group of uh judo mbs to be fair it's not there's not too many of you knocking around
1: i know i i feel very honored like (laughs) just to be to be there like kate howie simon jackson all the other kind of amazing people have got an MBE, and there's me (laughs) chris skelly an mba i i still don't people say to me i'm like me really like of all people um so yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't believe it when I got given it. I uh, I think I cried and then realised how much grief I will get off the land at the centre part of it.
0: <laughs> you were crying in delight or at the, the future future grief?
1: Uh, no, crying in delight and then it turned into, oh no, the amount of grief I've got. But uh, no, it's uh, a lot of people have told me to stop throwing my weight around, which I don't <laughs> usually but it's getting worse, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Magic. Well, you're talking about crime, we'll come. We'll come back to that. Now, regular listeners to the show will know I do the absolute bare minimum of research. Um, so I, you know, I, I skim reads a couple of newspaper reports, who all of whom had you down as a self-confessed blubber. Any occasion, yeah, you're into the tears. But we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So, like, if if people like are just becoming aware of you you know since tokyo you know you've become it's that classic thing you've become an overnight success and it's taken you know 10 years of massive amounts of effort and all of a sudden you are like the the paralympic champion which is the most unbelievable, incredible achievement. But like, how do you get started on that route? What was your route, A, into judo, then I guess into like VI judo?
1: Well, I started judo at the (laughs) age of five, so I did it alongside rugby. Um, And I I just did it because I loved, kind of wanted to kind of get into something, but also my mum and dad were kind of worried about me because I'm quite a slow learner at school and I was very shy young man and kind of they were told to kind of get me into out of kind of sport sort of stuff for me to kind of try and kind of improve my kind of um meeting new people and kind of getting used to the environment of like socializing and then I kind of just carried on throughout school and it kind of kept me off like going on street corners and getting into trouble and you know and I just made so many friends both in both sports. Like, I was very lucky. I had a great club at Price Studio Club back in Hull. Uh, and I was also part of the uh, rugby team in, in Hull, called Hull Ionians, uh, another brilliant uh, place to be. And I just kind of, it, it was just a typical bunch of lads get together, doing what they love. And I made so many friends for life. I still get messages off the rugby lads. I still get messages off my old judo mates. You know, it, it was just like a family atmosphere. And, you know, I carried on through throughout uh, primary and secondary and going into college because I'll be honest, uh, you know, you hear people talk about the Olympic dream and they like know that. I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't have a dream to become an Olympian. I just wanted a judo because I loved it and I loved the sport. I love learning. I had so many people kind of teaching me, you know, kind of the the old gentleman at the club kind of teaching me stuff, and I just love learning. I love learning off the older generation and them give me advice. But I, in my later teens, um, I had issues with my eyesight. So I started to kind of deteriorate. Um, I had uh, issues kind of with the light um, and it, everything started to kind of leave my life. So I lost, I lost my job. Uh, I was a, a mechanic at a garage. Um, I lost that. Um, I was learning to drive, so I couldn't learn to drive anymore um i i had to wear sunglasses permanently uh so what i'm wearing now uh talking to you james and then Fair, uh, this is, is his of...
0: audio only podcast he's got a massive oh, apology of like uh star yeah. star like well. goggles <laughs> <laughs> no he's, he's got um glitter on them <laughs> yeah they're
1: very they're very mean but so i had to start wearing them permanently and and then i had to start you know, doing judo blindfolded because I didn't know about contact lens at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so all this was kind of going on in my life. All the doors were closing and there was no kind of, no one knew what was happening to me. So like I was going to the doctor's doctors like, literally, I have no idea what's happening to you. Um, so that's quite a dark period in my life. And I was being told like, oh, we're, we're thinking you're making it up. You know, you need to go see a psychiatrist and everything Seriously? like that. Um, so I had to go to yeah back in Hull. I had to go to kind of the um, the psychiatric ward to be assessed by him. Um They read, they talked to me for an hour. We had a cup of tea, uh, and they just said, "Listen, there's nothing wrong with you. Just we don't know what's happening." But then, luckily, um, my dad worked for this really nice gentleman who he took his uh, wife to America to be kind of treated for. A really rare condition called MS, like a rare version. Mm-hmm. And he heard about my story and said, "Listen, Peter, I want to kind of help you and your son to kind of find answers." So, like, I had a message, and in the space of a week, I got whisked across to America uh, to Harvard University, uh, their medical center there, their research. And they did a battery of tests on me, blood tests. They took more blood out of me than I could like give them. Um, I had everything prodded around. People prodded around in my eyes. I had to be knocked out to look into my eyes. Um, so I had this week of kind of really battery tests. And then they came up with the answer of uh Ocletanus albinism. And then he said, I've been living with it, not knowing I've been living with it, because I've always struggled with a sunlight from birth. Mm-hmm. And I always had that like, got burned badly and I couldn't I had to wear sunglasses outside. But they said just for some reason you've kind of it's come worse when you've got late in teens. So I've always lived with it, but no one's told me I live, was living with it. And it was kind of a mixed, mixed time because, like, all them people were telling me I was making it up and kind of questioning my sanity. And because you do question yourself at that time in your life, you really go, "I'm making this up. Like, what's happening to me?"
0: Where, uh, so then like, finally, where's that? Where does that come from? Not not from you, but like, is it is it a really rare condition, or is it um, yeah, that, that going, they go in? We we just don't yeah. recognise it. It must be. So you know what changed? I don't
1: I don't know because the, the Americans did the same tests that the British uh, system did and the, the only thing they did was a blood test I mean I didn't have a blood test here and they did what they call a human genome so like a human genetic test and they came up with the answers and apparently I've lived with it since birth no one's kind of recognised it and you know there was maybe some misunderstanding between doctors in Britain mm-hmm. you know I don't know but you know and and but sadly, kind of went. that time in my life I was being questioned and you question yourself and everything like yeah. that, and it was a really dark time in my life, mate. a really dark time. Like, you know, the, the amount of mental stress it took on you. And I remember sitting in my mum's kitchen crying because, like, I went to Hall fair, It was kind of a fair every year. And I just, I had to come home. My eyes were so tired from the amount of light flashing in my eyes. And I was just sat on the floor crying in my mum's arms, like, what's happening to me? Like, no one knows what's happening to me. And, you know, that was that was, that was the lowest part of my life. Um, but then the one kind of constant thing, that shining bit of like, light and the amount of darkness that was happening to me, was judo. And it was kind of, and even the evenings, I could go to Home Price Judo Club, I could go to uh, East York Judo Academy, I could go to Grimsby Judo Club and, you know, just train. And for that kind of hour and a half, two hours, I forgot everything. Like, I yeah. forgot what was happening to me. Kind of that little escape. Like, people just treated me as, like, just me again, and, and, like, I wasn't, like, thinking about my eyesight, I wasn't thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow, or I was just was just enjoying judo, and then, I still was then competing, so I still competed on the on the British circuit, blindfolded, um, and facing people fully sighted.
0: Oh, wow, so while, like, you're waiting for yeah. this kind of diagnosis, and getting, yeah, signed, yeah. you're still competing, and...
1: Yeah, I was still competing. So I was just doing like, like you know, like uh, Heart of England.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we were like Yorkshire and and I was just doing it blindfold. Um, and you know, I was doing quite well at these events, getting medals and beating people. And then one of the events, the um, the Paralympic coach, I think it was like John Paul Bell, came and mm-hmm. talked to me about it, and he just kind of started talking to me about it. About the VI team, and I was like, "What a Roman!" I was thinking of Roman numerals, you know. I was like, "What five? Five what?" You know what I mean? I was trying <laughs> to think of what a Roman numeral was, and then, and then no, he then he had it to explain to visually impaired, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then um, I was like, "It was like 2012, um, the uh, the, yeah. the Olympic going on. You competed at in the Paralympics, so I went on to the Paralympic Inspiration Program, um, yeah. and Trevor was supposed to take me, but. <laughs> there was a rumour he did something naughty, so he couldn't come to the Paralympic. <laughs> I'm not, I, there was a rumour, I don't know if it's true, but Trevor Sidenten, I love the man, and he's a wonderful man, but apparently he did something naughty, so he couldn't take me and Jack Hodgson, who was my team. Yeah. So then Ian Jack
0: come on the programme at the same time?
1: Yeah, so he, oh, so we've well. come on the same programme together, and we we went to London together, the inspiration program. Yes, yeah. with with Trevor. We went with Trevor originally, but then Ian Johns had to take over because Trevor was an naughty boy, and um, he took us to London, and it was an amazing experience. And it kind of gave me the first books about what I wanted to do, and and I think that since kind of like obviously with the eyesight and everything like that, and then going to the Paralympics, it was a bit of like I want to be in Rio. So yeah, yeah, and like- the kind of. Like,
0: so getting on that kind of, yeah, uh, Paralympic uh, inspiration programme, where's that relative to your diagnosis? How are you feeling away from judo at that stage?
1: It's so away from judo. I was just being kind of, uh, so away from judo, I was still kind of being treated and we we're still kind of getting more information. But I had the diagnosis of operatitis albinism. Yeah. um so i kind of knew what was happening to me it still wasn't easy because then you kind of you learn you have to relearn how to live with a visual pen. Mm-hmm. so then you have to learn how to travel by yourself you then have to learn how to kind of get around in the dark even though you're struggling in the dark um you have to kind of rely on other people you, you have to then figure out bus times you have to figure out train times you have to figure out so all this was going on and then in 2013 the national trainer center and yeah. And I've just been classified um in I think it was the Europeans, just there was the Europeans after uh it was 2013. Um so I was just classified in 2013 uh because I'm diagnosis of the algorithm. And they uh yeah, then I kind of moved to Warsaw, so it was a big jump. So like in a space of two, three years, I was going through kind of my issues with my eyesight finally got a diagnosis and then right going off to do judo full time so it was a big learning curve for me because then i also had to then learn to live by myself and as a as a 19 to 20 year old man you know your mum did everything for you you know she <laughs> cooked she did your washing you know there's a lot of mistakes made by myself and a lot of because the problem is i also then struggled with color so then i couldn't see colors and whites and everything like that so i just put them all in together and a lot of stuff got died, a lot of stuff got ruined, a lot of stuff shrank. Uh, I lost a lot of clothes because it was like student accommodation. So all your clothes went missing half the time. Gosh. So, there's, and, you know, so it was a, a big learning curve for me. And then I also had to learn to kind of cook with a visual impairment. Mm-hmm. I have to kind of l- learn to kind of get a, around like a new facility by yourself. So all this is going on while trying to do judo and it's quite stressful, so I enjoy that, I enjoy, the thing with me, James, I enjoy a challenge, I love to kind of try and do things, and try to live independently as I can, obviously I have to help sometimes, and I have to ask the kind of, um, you know, bit of direction, but you know, I was very lucky, I, my, the, the dream wasn't always to be a Paralympian, it was just to kind of, I'll be honest, it's just to survive and to, to try and thrive was what was given to me. Like I never dreamt of being a Paralympian. I never dreamt of being an Olympian. I was I was planning to be a mechanic back and home working a nine to five job. So there was a big change in my life in the later teens. And it was tough. And and the thing is, there's no kind of book on how to live with it. So everything you were like learning and kind of like oh that doesn't work this works you know so you literally have to kind of there's no there's no manual on how to live with a young parent there's no manual on how to live with Um, kind of going through what I went through and I kind of just had to kind of like make mistakes and learn from them and understand what I needed to do and kind of just make hard decisions you know talk to people kind of understand because at the time I was with uh, Jonathan Drain so mm-hmm. Jack came to the centre a little bit later than me so I came centre with the original kind of cohort of young players uh Jonathan Drain and Mark Powell they kind of took me under their wing uh yeah. wings um, and showed me the uh north side of the Vit, and kind of really <laughs> kind of gave me kind of the love again and the kind of the feeling because you know I had to stop rugby you know and for me, that's a camaraderie sport. That's where, you know, it's the only thing I know where you get into a bath with 12 other men and not be questioned. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's fantastic. Like, I love it, you know. And, and I absolutely loved that sport, but it just wasn't, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. And the VI team brought that back for me, that camaraderie, that kind of looking after each other and that kind of, you know, that purpose again. Because I love that-
0: the purpose of that. How does it feel again, I guess, is that your first experience as well then coming into an environment where there are people with similar conditions and is there an aspect of it going right? Oh, wow, actually, there's, it's not, because I imagine it's quite isolating when it's happening or very isolating when it's happening to you at the time. Yeah,
1: I've, I'm very lucky because, well, I say lucky, but I, I have a, my, my best mate, Neil Wilson, he's also visually impaired. Mm-hmm. So he kind of helped me, kind of initially live with it. But then, through obviously, I moved away from home, so I didn't get to see him as much. But I still, I'm still regularly in contact with him. We, we're still very
0: good mates. Look at him; he's got the MBA.
1: He's dealt with me for years. He understands. He knows where I've <laughs> been. A tip. but no, he. So he kind of obviously, I had to then live with totally new people as well. Like, I've never lived with anyone else but my mom and my sisters. You know. So then you have to learn to live with other people, and yeah. it. You're right, it's sometimes quite isolated, you know, living by yourself with vision your pair. But then you had other people. So it was a bit of kind of camaraderie, and then you know, then you had all the other lads living with you. Yeah. And they have to learn to live with other people and learn other people's qualities, and also learning to live by myself. So it was a real good experience, and I loved every second of it. And you know, I, I feel like judo was that kind of saving grace in my life that pulled me. Literally, and I mean literally, at the darkest period of my life, like I could not. I I don't, I don't know. I don't think if I didn't have judo, I think I'd be lost. There. I think I'd hundred percent be lost with what I'm doing. I think, you know, I think I would have found something, but it, I I think judo kind of gave me that purpose. It gave me that purpose to live and to keep going mm-hmm. to kind of pull myself out of that darkness and. And just kind of enjoy life because you know it's not at times you're not enjoying life when all that's happening to you and being questioned and you've been, you know, and but Judo kind of kept that enjoyment for me and it kind of kept pulling me through. And you know, I I got to do the sport that I love as a as a job, you know, like I got to go to the National Training Centre in Walsall and start training full time. And again, that's a big shock as well for your body because three sessions a week. An occasional gym session. but I'm doing maybe five sessions a week, maybe maybe ten actually. When you think of technical sessions as well, so doing a judo, a gym, and a technical every day. So your body's then going, what's happening? You know, like yeah. you're just doing it for a hobby. You know, you're just doing it in an evening for a couple of hours, and then
0: going
1: I mean, after you know
0: what I mean. So like... <laughs> you you may well have been doing it for a for a hobby before, but I think yeah, the impression you're, you're giving off is that you were just another judoka at that stage i think again looking over your record you know as a junior you you picked up three british junior bronze medals like gb junior medals so you're part of the british squad it's not like you hadn't been of a level you weren't a a, a good athlete um you were you were a good judo player i think are you, are you being deliberately modest like or was it was it really big step up when you came into the center I, i'll be honest it with step up yeah. i'll be totally honest you know
1: James, I'll also be honest. I'm not the most talented athlete. I've li- li- I've been at the centre now, what nearly nine years, and there have been some hugely talented guys. Like, like they have got more talent in there. Like I've, that like, they've got so much more talent than me. But the one thing I have, I think, over everyone is just I work hard. I will work myself into the ground and even further into the ground. But then also be determined. I think having that, um, kind of going through that time in my life, made me kind of want to fight, and I think that's what I have, you know, I don't have uber amounts of talent, I'm not the most, I, it takes me about five hours to pick up a simple technique on it, or maybe take someone you know, a bit quicker but, you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't the most talented judo, I could I could last five minutes and not blow, you know, I was still quite strong um, but you know, I, I don't know, I don't I'm not the most, I don't like to I don't like, to, I'm quite a modest, I'm quite humble. I want to say humble. I want to kind of, you know, that's who I am. I'm, I, you know, a great, a great man in my life called John Prescott, not the MP, <laughs> the physio, the British <laughs> student, kind of not, uh, not that man. John Prescott always said Thank to you. me when I first came out, be humble and kind. And, and that's always kind of stuck with me because he was, he took, when I first come on, John, John Prescott, he is the most nicest man I've ever met. Yeah. And, this will annoy Ian Johns because there's a joke running around the team because he's a cornerstone of the team. There's that will always frustrate Ian Johns. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, no, he he just told me it's a young lad always be humble and kind. And I, you know, I wasn't talented and I wasn't, I just loved doing judo and I just love working hard. And that's I think that's what's got me through to where I am today.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, and I think. Clearly, though, I say clearly, you um, you you pick up results quite early on in your uh, vi career, you know, and um, you say you start training full time in 2013. Um, a couple of years later, you pick up a bronze at the World Games. Is that right? And yeah. It, and again, like I I don't know how you're feeling at that stage, but potentially, are you you starting to look ahead to Rio and going? Oh my God! I'm I'm going to be there, and I, and more than that, I could be in with a shout of a medal. Well,
1: there's well, I smile about the World Games because that's a I think out of all my medals from the Paralympics, that's the most special to me. Either. Oh really? And, and more than European, and I'm going to get if it, if some of my teammates listen to this, they're going to say, "Oh, I'm still living on it." Um, but so before the World Games, so the World Games is my biggest medal to date. Before, like obviously. Um, my medal in and for that. But before the, before the World Games, I didn't perform well in Hungary. I got a seventh in Hungary, um, which was like the first qualification event leading into Rio. And then I had kind of a really kind of honest chat with, with my coaching, Ian John's. You know, I have a great relationship with him. He has been a real big influence in my judo and kind of who I am today with my judo. Um, mm-hmm. And he had to have an honest chat with me and I had to kind of almost take that next step, you know, like from being a junior, uh, coming on to the senior, so I was maybe two years into, maybe a year of being into senior, and I had to take that step up, and he gave me a right turning off, because I didn't perform, and that was right, so we, we had a good kind of training block, and we went into went to Scotland, and I had a week in Scotland, and came down to Grimsby to uh, go to his club, because, that, you know, I love that club, um, and then during the fight, I was fighting with a good friend, Jack Hodgson, um, who i have been on the team with, and I don't know. I think I, I think I stuck my foot out to stop him from throwing me because I'm quite competitive with Jack. And my foot got stuck in a mat and my hip popped out. Oh. Uh, and this is only like six weeks, maybe five, actually, no, five weeks before the World Games. And um, I was lying on the mat crying in pain. And I mean, literally in tears because it's hurting so much. And I was laid on the mat for like three hours without no painkillers, with only just gas and air because they couldn't get an ambulance to come and pick me up. And I wasn't counted as serious at the time. because It wasn't like anything blood related. So I was sat with like three hours, this poor lady who was like a first responder and she couldn't give me, she couldn't administer any painkillers. So I was sat there for three hours, my hip sticking out. And she was taking me, obviously. I think I count. She said to me, I said, how many obs have you done? She did like 50 obs, you know, like taking the temperature, taking I OK. And I think I said to her, and I, I always, if I ever meet the lady, I apologise. If you do another ob with me, I'm going to shove it up you. Yeah. <laughs> because I was fuming. I was sat there for about three. And I, didn't, I think I did the, I got injured at half nine.
0: I didn't get picked up till 1am in the morning. Oh my um, with my hips out so can i can i pause you there yeah i'm gonna pause you yeah, no, uh, like a small child screaming daddy at the top of the stairs so give me give me two no, minutes you let's let's relaunch yeah from this shambles of a show we might be joined by no. a three-year-old or a six-year-old in a minute um <laughs> but you you'd say yeah your hips popped out you're a little bit upset um, a little bit upset
1: and uh, but, so, yeah, it was just, um, again, it, it was something that, you know, you, you don't plan for in life. And, uh, and I was five weeks away from World Games. Um, finally got to hospital. They popped it back in. Um, again, Greensby Judical Club were amazing. They supported me. Ian Johns came and visited me. Terry and Jenny brought me cheesecake. So, you know, <laughs> you, know you, only get, apparently you only get cheesecake if you get a medal. So I was a very special person. Oh, so this
0: was a cheese like cheesecake. a pre medal.
1: This is a pre medal cheesecake. They felt they felt really bad, and I was like, "No, please, it was an accident." And they're just lovely people, and they just they came to me every day and made sure I was okay. And she finally brought me a cheesecake, and I was like, "This is a special moment, you know." Um, <laughs> I've, so made, I it. I've made it. I've made it. and I've not even had to win a medal. Um, so yeah, um, and and Jenny's Jenny's cheesecakes are amazing, by the way. Jenny's cheesecake. Is incredible. And um, so yeah, popped it back in. And then this kind of thing where I wanted to compete in the World Games. Um, British judo have been amazing in my life, and they were a bit like they want to put the athlete first. And Nigel's like, I'll be honest, Chris, you're not gonna go. Um, we're not, you know, we don't think you're gonna get you can't, it's physically not possible for you to even get onto the map i
0: was gonna say and when said, you said it when you said it was five weeks i'm going there's, yeah there's no way there's no so took, way took,
1: so in the, there was so i know remember the timeline so i did it i went home for a few days and then i had a week so i had a week where they scanned the hip. they kind of they injected it with me with dye to see where all the damage was um and so for the week of kind of investigation and it came to about maybe four to four four weeks then away from the games and from the World Games. Nigel was like, listen, Chris, you're really not going to go. And I was like, listen, give me 1%. 1%, let me step onto the plate, all right? Let me just like, just give me that. He goes, all right, if you can meet certain things. So they did a second operation on me four weeks out. And the guy was like, listen, I'll be honest, you shouldn't be doing this. Are you you walking? You are doing it. No, so I was walking, but I was walking with a bit of a limp it was like hurting a lot. So they went in. I don't know how there was not. they called me the <laughs> they called me the marshmallow because I just bend with it. And they literally there's a little bit of where your hip sits so you have like a ligament that controls. So when you jump around it controls it. Mm-hmm. My labrum was fine. There's a few little tears but we cleaned it up and they had to take one ligament out of my hip and that was it. So the guy says even though you've got away with it and you're very lucky we still advise you not to do it. And this is three weeks out. And I was like, listen, I believe I can do it. Trust me, I can do it. Jason Laird at the time, who was looking after me. was like, Chris, I really don't think you should be doing this. But, well, listen, you want to do it, we'll do it. So, in three weeks, I managed to um, learn to kind of walk again on the without crutches. After two days of crutches, away, I and just started walking on it. I got the stitches took out after a week. I started doing judo, I think it was like on the Sunday, before we flew so like i think we were like I can't, remember, I can't remember exactly but i think it was like two days before we flew i started doing judo again so i do a bit of judo moving around and then i got on i had to i had to hit certain things as well So doing my rehab i was doing like rehab constantly like and i was going to bit sleep like you know the game ready
0: yeah, you know, yeah, yeah so i was yeah, going yeah, to
1: yeah. sleep with that on like in a cycle and i just i put it on and overnight it was just icing the hip constantly um, yeah, so I got game ready. Game
0: ready is like an ice machine that ice pumps machine, yeah. Water, icy and
1: water. It, it, was, it was pumping water around the hip and it was literally pumping. I was doing rehab every day. I was in rehab every like twice, twice a day, every day, and icing in between. I was literally by myself, just like doing this. And so, and then I finally did my judo. But the problem was, when I started doing judo again, the the, the glue my wounds, the wounds did like the four little holes I had on the hit. They didn't seal properly, so they glued it back up. So I was like bleeding like I was doing judo and I was like, oh there's blood on the hip here. So they had to glue me back up. And then I carried on doing judo. And then before I went, I had to hit certain targets. They said, like, listen, if you hit all these targets, we'll let you get on the plane, you can fly out there. Um, managed to hit them, maybe with a little bit of help of maybe, you know, a little kind of shuffle forward occasionally, you know, a little kind of Pushing the boundaries, we may yeah. say, of yeah, making sure I can go. So finally, I, I said to John, there, "I said, and Ian John supported me. All you know, British judo were amazing. That like, all the decisions I made were on me. You know, I my decisions. British students didn't force me into anything. I wanted to be at the World Games because I wanted to go to the Paralympics. So I managed to kind of get onto the kind of plane." We flew out there, i up, like first thing every morning to get me hip moving. And Preki was, well, hit me and Preki went to about 12 coffee shops in the space for a week because we just got up to walk to a coffee shop to get the hip moving. And like at 6 a.m. in the morning, managed to do that. Still was doing judo, I like, was doing Uchikomi, bit Nagakomi, stuff like that, a little bit of grip fighting, but not proper fighting. I wasn't allowed to properly fight. And then finally stepped onto the map. In, in Korea, um, and then we're like, we're a bit like, this is, we've made it now, like, let's just see what happens. One more first fight, one more second fight, I got into the semi, I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm all right here. Yeah. Sadly, I lost to uh, Uzbekistan Man, who was a lot stronger than me, and I'll be honest, I wasn't fit. I wasn't physically fit. Really? Kind of compete for that amount. Really? But then so it came to, it came to the bronze medal fight. and then I remember me and John's going, listen, you just enjoy yourself out there. Go and try anything. Just, you know, you've done you've done amazing to just get here. So, but I was facing Miles Porter, who at the time was mm. the current pound of Pit Silver Medal. So I was like, oh, for God's sake. And he beat me a few years before, in no, sorry, a year before, no, six months before, sorry, in the world championships in Colorado. So I was like, oh God, I really want to beat him. So I knew I could beat him. So then it kind of went into the last few minutes of the fight. And then I, ma- I managed to kind of try this awful Tom and Aggie because I was blowing out my bottom. And but and then all of a sudden he kind of he just fell into a kind of a strangle. And I just then just put the strangle on and he tapped. And then I, and this kind of emotion then just kind of came on. And this is where I said t- one off. I just cried, like literally cried because the only person who believed in me was Ian Johns. You know, now I just did believe. In me, but he just didn't think it was physically possible. And I, you know, I understand Nigel had also to think of me as me as a as a as a human. He didn't want me to kind of cause any further damage. But you know, they both were just so happy for me. I think even I don't know if Nigel will admit this, but I did see maybe a tear down his eye when he got close to his face. It was like <laughs> three weeks ago, like three weeks before I was just coming off an operation theatre, like sitting on a te- slab, like my hip hanging out. Them all kind of clearing up, and then me three weeks later I didn't get a medal. It was quite like a, a surreal twenty-one days, and, and so we, again, was,
0: I, was that your like first experience of an event as well as a like first experience of a games event, like a multi-sport? Yeah,
1: yeah multi-sport event, and it was quite a big moment. And I say that's why it's one of my one of my favourite medals, by the, power of the medal, because you know it was like three weeks, yeah. like I was sat well, in an yeah. operation theatre, like one what person, am- like never gave me one percent. What I think an incredible achievement! Yeah and and to manage to kind of be able to kind of walk again, do judo and then go and get a medal. For me, it was one of my favorite things to kind of talk about because no one believed well, they did Ian John's believed I could do it. And Nigel to an extent did, but again, you know, it's it's he he was like thinking of me and like what I wanted to do with my later life. He didn't want me to kind of go and cause permanent damage. But it was quite a surreal moment and we all started crying. I was in tears. John Z, I think, had tears. He won't admit it, but he had tears in his eyes. Nigel had tears in his eyes. I think because it was just the story of me just getting there uh, and taking a medal. And I think that was one of my favourite medals to take. And then that then led in like the Europeans and that kind of that was the step I had to take, you know. And I think if I didn't have what happened to me in my late teenage life, I don't think I could have coped with that. Does that make sense? Like I had to go through that. I've always that, you know when Bain says I was born in the dark. You know that <laughs> yeah. I was in the dark, and I was in the. I've lived in the dark for years, and so I had to then go back in there and find something inside of me to kind of go. You're the only person who has, has to do yeah, this now. You have to. The only one, bar someone maybe even John, may maybe your mum, they're the only ones who can believe me. You've got to do this now. So it, had, it took a lot of mental stress on me to kind of get there, but I managed to get there and get a medal. But then it was also that step up to the next level I needed to take, you know. And then then that led into my first ever European medal. And then that then led me to do my first Paralympic Games. So, like, the risk outweighed... The risk outweighed... The award, outweigh- Wait, the, yes. the award outweighed the risk. Does that make sense? Yeah. Look, looking I'll back on it,
0: you're, you're clearly like, and rightly so, like proud of that moment or that those, that decisions. Yeah. Looking back on it, do you think it, they were good decisions? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, if I spoke to myself,
1: him I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, like, I'll be honest, what the are you doing? Like, that is... That is irresponsible. You should not be going with a uh, a dislocated hit. You know, you you're barely off the operation of it. but I don't know. But the other part of me go sod it. You what you got to lose? You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Like,
0: and and you know you. And as you you're said, gonna yourself. yeah. As, as you yeah, said, yeah. you've had this awful experience before, but you've it, you've known from yeah. that you've got this well of resilience. Or hmm. whatever you're I just, about. I didn't
1: want to, I, didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to kind of. I think it was, to me, it was just like, I love when people say, you can't go and do that. Like, you can't do that. Because then I'll go, huh, I'll show you. You know, like, and there's a lot of people going, you're not going to be able to make it for it. Like, it's physically impossible. And I was like, give me 21 days and a good rehab plan and some dodgy scorings and I'll be fine. <laughs> but no, I I, I I will, if I spoke to my younger self, I said, do it again. Because like it made, if I didn't go to the World Games, I wouldn't qualify for Rio. Simple as. So I had to make the choice, you know, and it was the right choice.
0: Moving, moving on to Rio from the highs of the World Games, moving on to Rio, um, which going into Rio, you look at that Paralympic team and you go, <sighs> there is strength in depth there. Now I know you and and Jack are potentially the youngsters in the team, um. Jack didn't Jack get a world medal prior to to yeah to he took a world well. silver yeah. in, in
1: Korea so I mean him um, so some got world Sam, silver yeah Jack got world silver John I o, got world bronze John, John o o didn't you at his knees. right okay he got his world bronze in 2014 okay, okay but again he likes to remind me my world game medal is not a world championship medal <laughs> he's he always likes to remind me that it's only a world game medal so but the team was fantastic.
0: A strong team. So strong team. <laughs> I've got another little voice. Baby, come downstairs. Do you need me? Wait. <laughs> this is really exciting. I don't edit the podcast, so this is staying in. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. Um, bear with me two seconds. I'm really sorry. No, bro. no, take time, pal. Take time. They can they can tell that I'm speaking to someone important. <laughs> they, God. they can tell that I'm speaking to the king. Um no, it, no, no, no. you are I mean you're demonstrating now you're the most patient man in British judo, as well as um so yeah, Rio, super strong team, lot of pedigree there. Um and Think it was the first Paralympics in a long, long time. Maybe like twenty years, thirty years, where we didn't come back with a medal. Like, what's that experience like? (laughs)
1: Uh, I'll (laughs) be honest. A load of a a load of I'm going to say that a load of poo. <laughs> um I'm gonna say that, I'm going to say it in a way. Um, because the team was amazing, like Sam Ingram, a legend of VR judo. Um he, you know, he was he he took me and Jack under his wing quite a lot, as well as Jonathan Drain a good friend of mine. You know, like we're best mate, we still talk now. I still get lots of random conversations about high floors and being stuck to his So it, it was also like the camaraderie of the team as well, like we were very close. And let's say me, Jack and all John are all trained together. Um, and Jono again very um, really good natural judoka and also such beautiful judo same with Sam so you know really you know I got a fifth Jono got a fifth and Sam got a fifth any other day that would have been all three bronzes or you know that could have been Jono and Sam into the final you know mm-hmm. I could have got a Um, it was the first time I was ever booed that was the first experience because oh, being wow. booed by 9,000 people because <laughs> I, I had a Brazilian in the first fight.
0: Yeah. So
1: as soon as my name was mentioned, um, I was absolutely heckled and booed. And you know, I'm hearing impaired. So for me to hear people, it was it was it was like being in like a gladiator, you know, like people just one if I if we didn't have barriers, I think I would have been beaten up, like literally beaten up by people. Because the guy, Tenario, was yeah. an absolute legend again of VR judo. You know, he's he went to, like six games. The only time he didn't was in Tokyo. So, like, he's medaled at every game. And, you know, I had beaten him. I had beaten him right into leading to Rio. I had confidence I was going to beat him. And he just, yeah, I think I just, I I lost to him. I fought my way back through to the reperchage, to the bronze medal fight. And I just faced a better person. The Cuban was better than me. Um, I think I've faced him now. I think it'd be a different thing. We're both better judo players. Um, I think if I talked to my younger self, I'd just say, rip that arm off because I had a chance of ripping his arm off. But, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, it was a tough time for the team, like really tough time. It was tough for Ian Johns because it was his, you know, first proper games. And he's only been in charge for like, two years, two and a half years. And even then, you know, he wasn't fully in charge because it was like, obviously, that was tra- trained up in Scotland. So he was like, obviously being coached by Ian Burton. So like you didn't have really kind of you know all control of like the training or so what people did and everything. You actually in control of maybe me and Jono because I think Denny was looking after Jack as well. So yeah, you know, like it was like it, you know, it was the support that British should have gave us was amazing. Like Denny Roberts was amazing, and John was amazing, Sean Prescott. It just wasn't our day. Right, and that's and that's that's sport though. And I think that's what I learned is that you know, in sport people have bad days and, and you know, it's hard. It was really hard not taking a medal because of the journey I was on. Yeah, and like to get that was kind of that—that like, was that kind of like topping that would have been amazing to have. To kind of go, I've went through all that. Excuse my language. Absolute awful, tired of my life.
0: Is this going to be edited? I'm not going to be done for swearing, am I? <laughs> no, nah, I don't edit. <laughs> I've got my children uh, swearing in the background. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fine. No. So, so like, like, all that going for my life, I and mean, then to not get a medal, I
1: then, again, was an emotional cryer. I cried. I was crying for days. day. I, like, I remember, like, trying to find my mum and dad in a car. I was, like, I, was like, I said, do where's my mum and dad? I was, just like, wanting to hug up my mum and dad. So then I scaled this kind of, this kind of, it must have been about a 10-foot, 12-foot kind of barrier, scaled it, managed to get up there. I was shouting for my mum my dad. you know, like the Rocky scene. Where he goes, <laughs> hey, I was like, mom, dad. And then they came in and there's this wonderful picture, I don't know if I saw it have, on the on my phone, where there was that first of my sister, my mom and dad, and we were all just hugging me. And I had that phone leading up to the, to, the, to Tokyo, so I had it on for years to remind me of the, what it did to me. Like it hurt me. I felt like a failure. You know, I didn't get a medal. I didn't, I didn't represent my family, you know, to the best I could, and all these was going through my mind. And then also I met, I met Prince Edward. So I went, I went, afterwards, you go to kind of this uh, pound and pig house, and you kind of get drinks and everything, see your family. And I got introduced to Prince Edward, and I just burst out crying.
0: I just was like, <laughs>
1: "Wow!" I was so tired and upset. I said, "Hello, my name is Gary." And I got literally, you know, when you just got spear tackled out the way, I just, my mum just like whisked me out of the way <laughs> into this corner.
0: And I was just so tight. And I was Better crying. than security, I guess. Better than the security. Oh, like,
1: I was I was going to get assassinated because I was just literally crying. Because I was just, it meant so much to me and I wanted to have it. But then when I look back at it, and I look back at it and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be the, you know, it's hard to admit this. You don't want to admit it. I just want good enough. I literally want good enough. I didn't have the judo to... to to be a medalist you know i i was very lucky to get to the medal fights i think i you know I think what kept me going was my fitness and my kind of not you know didn't want to kind of give in but then it gave me a chance to kind of look back and like go right i need to work on my knee a, i need to work on my tachi a, i need to be fitter stronger so really if i'm honest it was a good kind of learning curve for me to kind of learn that I needed to work a lot bloody harder to call myself a Paralympic medalist.
0: And then, again, looking down your results, that clearly does it. it, And you said it there, like, it looks like it's the spurf. You you then go on 2017 European champ. Yeah, 2018, like, um, world gold medalist. You know. Say again? Bronze medalist. I've only got bronze at world. Oh, yeah, no. right. see the wikipedia is letting me down wikipedia's got wikipedia. down the me down as their Ibsa world gold medalist no world bronze medalist oh mate disappointing yeah <laughs> i oh, thought well i was <laughs> um and then then obviously we start on the run-up to tokyo and um all of a sudden along comes a pandemic what does the how did how did you find the delay at the paralympics
1: so, kind of that, that was kind of a, a tough year, 2020. You know, I, uh, I've got to say, also in Rio, I met the love of my life. So, if my fiance does listen to this, I, I met the love of my life Rio. She was a platinum.
0: Well, that was almost swept under the bridge. That like, you, you literally just rescued it. The pa- I rescued Rio was it. the worst time of my life. Rio was the worst time. Like, like, oh, oh, wait there. No, I've met the love of my life.
1: Oh, wait a minute. Uh, she might listen, to- listen to this and go, I'll be in the dog. I'll be sleeping on the sofa this weekend. Um, no. Uh, so, yeah. I went to, in 2020, obviously, again, nothing goes to plan. Nothing goes to plan. It, again, you can't plan for it either. There's no planning for for COVID. And, like, obviously, 2020 comes through, it looks, you know, world number one. So I'm like, yes, I, that's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm world number one. And, you know, it's going well. i, I I think it was like, I did several competitions before the pandemic and a medal was, got a gold and a silver. So I thought, all right, I'm you know, in a good position. Um, but then also the COVID hit and centre got shut. Everywhere got shut. Like literally the whole, whole world shut down. But yeah, it was quite a surreal moment. And, and in the back of your mind, you're like, I've got to train here. Like, the Paralympics is still on. Like, <laughs> no one's telling me any difference. So like, there you go. How am I going to train for the Paralympics? Well, I can't do judo, and I can only do banaduchi kumi, and I can only do weights in my back garden. Um, luckily, my fiance was a wheelchair tennis player. You know, two-time Paralympian, uh, phenomenal tennis player. Too late.
0: You've missed it. It's too late. You're I trying to dig late. yourself out of a hole Is now. It? But no, no, it's, it's not.
1: not. <laughs> so no, but she she had to keep fit as well. So both of us had that kind of like God, like we've got to keep fit for the Paralympics here. So then we it was quite nice because we trained with each other. I got to see what she did. She got to see what I did, and we kind of understood each other a bit more. Like, what you know, and it's first time we kind of properly lived together in a confined space for a long period of time. So, like, you know, that's also learning, and you know, it was the best. I would say it was the best time we've had together. You know, the lockdown kind of brought us even more close together, and that's when I decided to kind of propose after the after the lockdown. But then also, you know, we were doing Zoom sessions. The British judo set this kind of brilliant online kind of system up so it took them a few weeks because i think they were a bit like how do we kind of keep the guys fit and ready to go because at the time olympics and Paralympics were still on and they came up with this kind of brilliant online zoom session we were doing zoom twice a day we were doing weights they kind of they sent us all these kind of bands and who like um, hoot, like uh pre-ab stuff and kind of weight stuff to kind of keep ourselves fit and we we're doing conditioning sessions judo sessions like well Bandit judo sessions and they did a phenomenal job keeping us kind of ready to go. And obviously, then we we found out it was postponed. And <laughs> again, uh two things, either I cry or I eat. And um I absolutely I that evening I remember this, I was so I was so upset because I was like, I am so ready for this, I want to go and compete. Uh, <laughs> however, I then decided to. When I get sad, I say I cry or eat, and I decided then I think I knocked my about, about three or four factors back, and then I destroyed a pack of pork pies because I was upset. <laughs> and, and my fiance then was a bit like, Oh, this guy can uh, eat a lot. And uh, she also found out my food the food bill is high with me because you know that's the first time we probably lived because we, we've seen each other weekends, but. Our food bill over lockdown was quite high because I was always hungry. <laughs> um, we had a good meeting, me and the rest of the team, the I team, um, and, and our coaching, John's, and we kind of actually we reframed it positively. Like it gave us another year to get stronger and fitter. Um, it gave us another year to kind of improve ourselves technically and physically. It gave our bodies a bit of time to rest as well, because remember we've been going four years time, and our bodies and then feeling the strain of it. You know, Elliot Stewart is is the elder, the gen, elderly gentleman of the team, so he needed a bit more rest. Jack was feeling the strain a bit, because you know I was feeling the strain a bit. Dan Powell's feeling the strain. So Actually, maybe it was the right time for us to kind of maybe have a few months to kind of go sort out the little the little niggles and sort out the little stuff that was hurting. We, we we positively framed it. We got stronger. We got fitter. We made sure all the kind of little areas that we needed to work on was ironed out. And to be fair, you know, it, it was a huge, huge positive, really, because it gave me a year to get better. And I think it gave me a year to grow as well and to kind of train with the guys because we had like a new cohort of young gen young guys to come in and actually who now are phenomenal athletes who are all brilliant we get on like a housing player, and the sent also then learn a little bit. You got closer together, a bit of camaraderie, and yeah, it was just it. It gave it gave us a year to get better, and I think it was a real. It, it, we turned a negative into a positive, and I think it was a real kind of it was a, it was really well done by British Judo. It's done well done by the coach and staff, it's well done by the team as well, like the the Judo players, the Judo fighters. So yeah, and it also gave me time to kind of. Just like living, you know, like, like, because you, you're constantly doing judo. You don't actually have time just to kind of rest a bit and like mm-hmm. be with your loved ones and have a bit of time to kind of explore a little bit more than like, you know, and just let your hair down a bit. And it kind of was a bit of a mental break as well. Um, so, yeah, we kind of turned it into positive. It, wasn't, it was not difficult, but we we, we reframed it.
0: And you you used it as well. Like again, this is the modicum of research I've done to like get in touch with your local community. You were like delivering food parcels and
1: yeah. So so I've, I just before the pandemic in twenty at the end of twenty nineteen I became the ambassador of Phoenix Enterprises, which helps people with learning disabilities and mental mm-hmm. health issues kind of get into work. It's like a, a massive work facility where they can go and like learn skills and everything like that. And my fiance that we've helped she worked for them um and we would so i became ambassador i
0: oh, know i'm gonna stop with you one second yeah prior to about three minutes ago you hadn't mentioned your fiance once i've got it in there <laughs> and you've got it in, it in now four Saving times it. in about 30 seconds well
1: yeah
0: it's you know it's yeah i need to say <laughs> you okay carry on um, with your story carry on yeah so yeah to,
1: to we just so phoenix phoenix had to shut as well so that's like phoenix is a, a very important place for people to kind of go and kind of let the hair down a little bit kind of being a safe space for them to kind of flourish we had a few of the service users like before going to phoenix never spoke and then when they were going to phoenix they were speaking to people so like this is a huge this is let's be honest this is bigger than like so like the center closing down yes it's bad but people like you still were kept but Phoenix closed down. Some of these guys, their only contact is with people at Phoenix. So this is a huge moment where us delivering food parcels might have changed their day. You know, they were having a bad day. I remember, you know, us delivering it, and then we sat, sat chatting to them for 20 minutes on the doorstep, you know, just making sure they are okay and stuff like that, and making sure that they were still, you know, because it's very lonely, especially in the pandemic, where you can't go to be with anyone. And so... You know we did do that a lot over lockdown making sure all the guys at phoenix were safe and, you know you know because mental mental health issues is really tough and to be by yourself especially the pandemic yeah. it's tough for them so we you know we did a lot of that and made sure they were okay and you know i loved doing it it got me out of the house you know we were like making sure everyone's okay and i'm quite a you know as although i'm a big a tall gentleman i'm still quite a soft guy at heart so it was really nice just to kind of make sure because I'm a caring guy and I love to kind of care for people and look after them. So, you know, and I love the charity. And, and I, yeah, so it was I, I do it because I just love helping people. And it was just that that's who I am. So, yeah, I love I love the charity. And I, I, when I retire in a few years, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> not sure yet, uh, I will um, I'll be most likely going to work there because it's just a fantastic place to be
0: amazing what what a great country like story like contribution um
1: i don't think I, I just i don't know i just love i love the place i mean i go in there and it, everyone is so happy to see you and it's like it's just a nice place and as i say it's such an important place for some of them like some of the people it's the only like place they can go and speak to some people and like have contact and i think it's such an important place and, and it was tough over the pandemic for them like some of the guys were we were regularly checking in with them and making sure they were okay. You know, I say going delivering food parcels once a week just to make sure they kind of got all the food and they were okay as again. So I love doing it and I, it really was like brought a passion out of me that I want to kind of carry on after mm-hmm. after
0: Judo. Amazing. Um and then lockdown comes to an end. You know, the Olympics is Paralympics is kind of back on probably back on maybe not yeah. maybe it is we're moving into yeah. 2021 uh, there's a lot the dates are set but there's a lot of umming and ah in. and you're still getting ready at this stage to, to travel out yeah so it's,
1: it's really odd time because so the pro, the protocols that British written played, the phone they were made they were really good like if there was like an outbreak in the centre, the centre would shut for ten days. So they really made sure, like, if you were training, it was a safe environment for training. And They did a fantastic job making sure we we're all safe and be able to train safely. So, but it's tough because at heart, when an outbreak happened, you know, you wanted to carry on training, but morally and scientifically, you had to shut because it would have spread around the whole judo guys, and you had to shut the whole place down. But it's hard because you want to carry on training. You're like I remember, like you have a good few weeks of training, and there'll be an outbreak. So You have to go and then train at home, at home again for ten days. Then you get back in, you have another good few. So it was a bit of stop and start. But we managed to kind of keep fit, keep going. Kind of when we did do the judo session, every judo session was a positive. But you're like it's really weird because you started really early. So you start like at seven o'clock and were finished finish by midday. So like you did your judo and your gym in the space of like two hours and your technical. So it's all crammed in. Yeah, but we managed it, and we kind of kept going. And and I say, you know, I'm, we, we, I was so lucky to be able to train through the pandemic and making sure safely as well. And I, you know, you, again, UK Sport and Lotto and people that it wouldn't have happened without their kind of support and funding. And um, so I was really grateful we could kind of be almost do that as well. Like still training throughout pandemic, and then you know we first competition was Baku. Um, and that's after 18 months of not competing. So you're like, a bit of doubt creeping again. You're like, am I going to still have it? Am I? I was on the roll, managed to take a silver medal, just lost to uh, Gugachori, mm-hmm. fantastic athlete. Uh, then I took a bronze in Warwick, which was a, you know, a bit of a, yeah, not my best day, if I'm honest. One of the worst feelings because I didn't perform. Uh, and yeah, I got a bit of a... Uh, how to put it? A kind of, you know, what I wasn't good enough, and I was told it wasn't good enough, and I kick kind up of the arse. Yeah, and I burst. Phrase you're looking again. for?
0: You're looking for a polite yeah. version, but I kick up the arts. I got
1: to kick up the arts quite a lot, and I cried a lot. Again, if anything, you know, is I'm a big cryer at heart. I'm a very emotional guy, and uh, so yeah, I I, <laughs> I cried a bit and went home. Uh, Ordered the Dominoes as you do. After I don't know what it is with judo players, I I might be doing one. But when I've had four, the first thing I want to do is eat a pizza (laughs) or have lots of drink. So I was in floods of tears in the bath because I just didn't form. And my fiance was bringing me lots of cider. um, And then she said, "What do you want to eat?" And I was like a Dominoes. I ordered about a bit, like you know them, thirteen inches. And then I ordered about five sides, and I destroyed all of it i mean literally all of it in front of her and she was just like you are an emotional eater aren't you so yeah it was it was it was tough because then that self doubt that self doubt creeping because you know that little man in your head that's going are you good enough to medal like mm-hmm. are you good enough to win it and like i was like oh no you know and like and then that dark side of you comes out like that dark side in your mind goes what if we don't medal again what if none of us medal you know what is going to happen then, like, right? and then, then the next week, eight weeks, we trained like we've never trained before, like ferociously trained. But again, that's still that self-doubt's creeping in. Um, how do you and, control it?
0: How do you control that? What do you do? Uh,
1: so <laughs> I have a great sports guy called uh, Andrew Cruickshank. Um, and you know, we've 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 kind of coped with kind of my nerves and my self-doubt by getting it out of my head quickly so like by doing voice notes or by talking to someone the best my best tool that i've used was doing voice notes so i quickly like speak into to the phone just to kind of get out of my head mm-hmm. and then we went on this kind of um i think it was like pretty sure did this kind of like we did because we did, we were supposed to be like preparation camp, but we, it was called off because of covid so we went down to plymouth for a few days to train with some of the uh, we had some kind of Marines guys who we were doing a few counts before with them. And we just, it was one of the sessions that I did like a one on one with this guy. It was just about breathing and just like, just controlling my breathing. And just like, and when I was breathing, all that kind of self doubt kind of came out of me. And so through like working with Andrew Krugchamp and a little bit of kind of learning off other people, I kind of managed to kind of come up to to kind of cope with it. Um, I say Andrew Cookson has been a big influence in my judo, and he was. I mean, he was different from 2016 to 2020, mm-hmm. 2021. He was a big difference in my kind of the way I fought. So that's the first time I properly used a proper user sports psychologist. So with with kind of just tools that he we you, we set up with him, and in kind of this breathing exercise, I managed to kind of control it, and then kind of like, you know, really kind of just focusing on the games. But then also, I then have to self-isolate. So, like, between this, people are testing positive and everything like that. So, like, I can't go home because, like, I couldn't forgive myself if I got, got it at home and brought it into the centre. So, for about five to six weeks before, I was living here with Evan, couldn't go home, couldn't leave Warsaw, like, went to training, come back, did online shopping. because You're just so paranoid about catching it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you had these horror stories like people going to Wimbledon and not being able to compete. So... Managed to kind of become, managed to kind of get there without any kind of, you know, issues. We, when we had a bit of a kind of a, a small outbreak, which meant the centre kind of had to shut for a few days, um, which meant like well, say 10, about 10 days they had to sleep for, just before we flew out. So then we had about five days before we flew out, we could do a bit of judo. But then all the training weeks, so we had around maybe like 20 hours training together, which is good for us. Then we just had our training partners. So, like, uh, Max Gregory, Oli Barrett, and Evan Malloy. And they then, just then free. But then we couldn't, I could only train with Max. Jack could only train with um, Ollie. Ollie, Because if one of us broke, got it, that means yeah. they could kind of, they could yeah, say yeah. away from it. So, all this is going on, while I was trying to train for the Paralympics. like, it is surreal. Like, you're panicking left, right, and centre. Like, am I going to test positive? Because you have to do a lateral flow every day. So you're like, please don't test positive. Please, just the amount. So, so for us to even get on the plane was a flipping huge upset in the first place. So then we got out there, and it getting kind of eased a little bit. You got to Tokyo, you know, and it then started to feel a bit real because then you kind of had to control your nerves as well because you're like, right, this is going to be real now, you know. So you had to take day by day, and we managed to get there in the end.
0: How when you when you get out there, how did the event feel compared to? Rio. Obviously, Rio's tarnished by the end result, but like it was such a different Paralympics, you know, because of the situation we're in. Like, How does it feel for you as an athlete, like when you get out yeah. there? It was a lot of,
1: um, not strict to the rules, so you couldn't kind of go and, like we, so after the game Rio, we had a lot of time to kind of chill. We couldn't do that. Like you literally had to stay in your bubble. Um, but the what made it was the volunteers. In Tokyo. So the volunteers were so, like, every time someone won, you got, like, lots of pats on the back, or, like, you know, like, like, you know, they couldn't touch you, but were, like, yeah. like that for you, and everything like that, which is so nice. Like, they, they made it feel, like, the atmosphere they made it was incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: you, you find in the home of Judah the Budokan. Like, yeah. that is, for me, that is a huge anyway. You know, I'm getting to compete where some of the legends have competed, like, Inui, master uh, people like that, you know. And he's um, back in Tokyo
0: and... for the first time. Exactly. You know, no, since no, 64,
1: no. just crazy. It's just like, you're just going, this is, you know, I'm just happy to be here. You know, I'm happy to be in this, in this situation. Um, And, you know, it, yeah, I would love my family to be there, but if I'm honest with you, I then kind of go, you know, zoom in a bit more, yeah. focus a little bit. Right? Cause, because I'm a caring guy, I'd be worried about the woman, I'd be worried about, what my fiance is doing i'd be worried about what's happening now you know so you know anyone no who's up.
0: listening to this thinks you're thinking about your fiance at this stage the thing is you know, i was
1: definitely louise no. i
0: apologize i feel like if you did ever listen to this and i mean she would again double the listenership if she did listen to it <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. no
1: no so, but the thing is like Louise, so Louise retired uh, just for the games. So she, she was commentating in, in in back in England. So oh, you know she, the, the pandemic was it was just too like she was a self-funded athlete. So um because so she she didn't actually, you know, she was in a really good position, but then just because of the COVID laws and the COVID things, it was hard for her to qualify. So mm-hmm. but then she did she did an amazing job. She would then work for Channel Four. So she then had like a great kind of thing with work with Channel 4. So it was very tough because I wanted to be out there with me because she would have been out there with Channel 4 but, you know, she she was back at home. So I literally had I had John Prescott, Chris Barry, Ian Johns, they're my teammates and Denny Roberts. So they're the important people I needed. Um, I was there to do a job. And yeah, it worked out pretty well. You know?
0: Spoken to people before who said that when they've got a big result, they just felt it was going to be right on the morning. Yeah, did you did you know there was something bubbling away? Like you've you've got the Uzbek, then you knock that onto the German and the American. Did you have a feeling, or again, you've just got laser focus on each fight? Each fight,
1: I I think I'm a terrible overthinker, and I always over play things over my head. Like I'm honest, I maybe got maybe. Five, I didn't sleep that well the night before, and I can't, I'm terrible eater before as well. Before a fight, I can't eat, like, I, my stomach feels like it's gonna, like, you know, just like crumple in on each other. And like, I feel so nervous. Um, and it's really difficult as well because, so going in world number one, you know, this between you and the Georgian the Georgian's pulled out, so he gets pulled out of the competition, um, which is then even more, oh, yeah, before.
0: of course, because he got. Did he get he was, I'm just, I'm not
1: gonna. He was a naughty boy. I'm just gonna yeah. say that he was a naughty boy and he got pulled out of the competition. Um, and so all this are is you are you aware thing. of
0: that at the time? Are you like and again, yeah, what's the so, impact? Does that add the pressure or does it take the so, pressure off? What I remember
1: I was sitting in my house in Warsaw and I was sat there and I had this call. So John John of my good dear friend messaged <laughs> me going, Have you seen the news? And I'm, I've just finished the washing up. So I'm like, what are you on about? Like, what news? And then my, co- my, my, uh, my coach, Ian John's phone me. He goes, Have you heard? And I've gone, What am I supposed to hear here? Like, what am I missing? <laughs> and then he told me what he did, um, which was not very good. But then so he was pulled out. And then the pressure then goes, And then yeah. that little man then creeps in, that self doubt you've been kind of pushing to the back of your mind. you're like, Argh! And you go, Right now. And then I did a voice note. I did a breathing exercise. And then it just kind of went back to what I was doing, watching Dad's Army at the time, I think. And I just went <laughs> back to doing, literally went back to doing my day. Because we, we came up with a process, what's my next job? So my, I have a stepping stone process. But what's my next job? I try not to think past the first job I've got to do. So for me, like in the morning on position day, I've got to wake up, do my natural flow, have breakfast. I really break it down simply in my head. Because if I don't, I'll just be overthinking it, playing scenarios in my head, you know, because I didn't know I was going to either have an Uzbek or an Azerbaijan. The Azerbaijan guy is a really tough guy. You know, he was the one who could upset me and have make me kind of lose in the first round mm-hmm. in the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. So all this is going on in my head, but managed to kind of control it and kind of just say, see who I've got. And, you know, I, I think, again, it's experience and kind of understanding the situation and knowing there is pressure on you, and there is pressure for you to perform, you know, but it's also then just going, just what's your first job? Like, what have I got to do first? And that's win my first match. And then win my second match. And then I'm going, oh God, <laughs> I'm in the final. Because uh, there's, there's great pictures. The only time picture actually, there's a decent picture of me where I'm roaring at Johnson. That's the only decent picture in my whole judo career. <laughs> Most of my judo career is me with my mouth wide open. Looking like, like I'm sucking a lollipop, like, not like that. It's the only time I'm looking like this. Like, and I actually there's a lot. So my dear friend at the end, Jonathan Drain, then also pointed out that's the first time I looked like I had the peck. So then I kind of zoomed in on it. Actually, did it looked amazing. Like I was so pleased with the shot. Um, and it was just like that. All that kind of that since Rio, kind of that understanding that. God, like, I hurt not having that medal. That really hurts. Going, I've got a bloody Paralympic medal here. What the bloody, I'm in the finals. And like, oh, my God. And then, that, then then, it all then creeps in. And then you have to go, then you kind of got off the mat. We celebrated me and John D, But then he was like, right, you're not finished yet. And I was like, yeah, I'm not finished. So then, um, then I had to kind of control my nerves. I called Louise. I called, you know, it's like, oh, my God. And she's, because she was watching it, so she she's trying to commentate and watch me fight at the same time. And apparently, she screamed so loud, the producers were like, what's happening? Who's been stabbed? Like, <laughs> they were literally panicking, someone's been stabbed. And then, then the final creeps, then the final creeps around. And that's there, yeah, that's the moment where you're really controlling your nerves and your self-doubt and your kind of. I've got to breathe here. You know, Like, what, what's my first job? Like, what have got to do? It is a, you are fighting inside. Like, literally, you've got to fight then you've got to fight yourself because that self doubt and that kind of nerves creeping in, like, don't mess this up. You've never lost this guy in five years. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, and you've just got to go, just kind of go, what's my first job? Yeah. Like, what's my first job? Take a bloody grip and then go from there. So that's, you know, a lot of that was, it's, yeah, it's a it's a long day, in my
0: head. Uh, are you again going into that final? Are you aware, you know, that there hasn't been a Paralympic champion since I think ninety six, or is that again maybe that's not something you're thinking of? It's it's just the, uh, yeah, the the step you've made from Rio. You're in the final. Like, would it have been easy to? Take your foot off the gas at that point. Do you think it would have been easy to go wrong?
1: It could have been terribly easy to go wrong. Terribly, you could have took your eye off the ball. You could have not concentrated. You could have, you know, like took the guy lightly. You know, but the thing is, like, (laughs) this is the thing with any sport, and this is what the beautiful judo is. You know, I could have gone to Tokyo and been out in the first match in five seconds. You know, I could have got to the final and been out. You know, and be out again, get thrown in five seconds. So you know, you've just got to be able to kind of learn to kind of, I don't know, it's like just just try and do your best. I don't know, it's really difficult. Like there is that kind of that creeping into your head, but then like it's, I don't know, it's the most surreal experience because like I just didn't want to cock up. I'll be honest, I really didn't want to lose to him. I really didn't want to kind of lose an American and then you know, because I really wanted to win it, and then, then there's a, there's a picture of me kind of realising I've won it, when the guy, the referee's tapping me on the back, and I'm going, and I just put my arms up, because I'm like, oh my god, like, like, I've done it, you know, like, that's, everything I've been through, from like, from day one, through the dislocated hit, through not meddling in Rio, through the COVID, it's just all come to this one moment, and like, I'm awful at celebrating. Like, I, I'm terrible. I do this. I do this. I was crying. And I was just, for the first time, I just went, what have I done? You know what I mean? Like, like that's incredible. And that's the best feeling. Like, just to know that it, it all came to that one moment in my life where, as I said, like, the darkest time in my life, maybe 11 years ago, to, like, standing in the Buddha, Buddha camp, just winning your Pound and medal the gold medal and it, it's just it's just unbelievable feelings in your head Just like and it's like you, you just go what well, have I done it. like I've, everything I've gone through everything like all the self-doubt all the people kind of you know wanting you to do well and you just it's the best experience and again I broke down I'm an awful crier I just cried I just was like I managed to it together. So I bowed off, shook his hand and I kind of, you see me go, and I started to then, it's when I get to Ian John's I start to cry because I've just, I, it just hits you. It hits you like a ton of bricks. And he's just like, it takes you, it's, yeah, unbelievable. and then I go hungry and I get really hungry. And again, it's like crying straight into hunger. You know, I don't know what it is. It's one extreme to the other, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, it was the most, amazing
0: experience so then what what happens when you become paralympic champion like since then like what what's come out of it what are you are you, you sound like i've interviewed you you've sound like the exact same guy like again humble you're <laughs> modest you're funny but like what is everything the same or is everything different
1: The uh... Uh, for me, that I didn't, because because you, you don't really have your phone on. Like right? you maybe turn your phone on between medal fights to kind of speak to Louise quickly and just say like I'm okay, babe, I'm happy. Or she can she she she's been with me now six years, so she knows when I'm happy or upset or I'm like nervous or anything like. That. So she's kind of like she knows what to say to me. Um, and then I turn my phone on, and my phone has gone ballistic. It went ballistic for. Like I just you know when it's just like the screen goes and I was just like, I was I couldn't believe how many people watched it. Like for me, because you're so zoned in on the deck, and you're so kind of concentrated, you forget everything else exists, you forget the world is turning. Because it's one day you've trained years and years for through blood, sweat and tears, you've come down to this one day and everything else stopped outside. So you're literally in the can, you forget the world is turning. So to kind of come off the mat I and mean, then your phone's going crazy you're speaking to Louise she's crying I'm crying Johnsy translates what I'm saying to Louise because I can't speak because you know I'm crying I've not even tried on the podium gear either so I don't even know if the podium gear fits me at this point <laughs> like I've I've literally refused to open the podium gear because I think it's unlucky I did it in Rio unlucky I didn't get a medal so I said this time I, I put it to the side and John Lee went, have you tried on your podium gear? And I've gone, no. I'm not going to try it. It's going to stay in there. And then, and then that kind of, that immediate go, you've won the medal, you go, I hope the podium gear fits me. <laughs> like, if I don't, I'm in serious trouble here. Because I, like, literally, I was, I, they take you apart, take you aside to get them dressed. And I was going, I hope it fits me. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to have to get either Ellie or Jack to give me hits. Because, like, I've not even looked at it. So... All this stuff's going on. You know, your phone's going crazy. I didn't get, I think got like two hours sleep that evening because I was just like, all the messages was coming through. You know, I didn't go and raid the food hall because I'm just starving. I don't think I looked at a vegetable that evening. I had pizza, <laughs> fried chicken and pizza. And I went back again for the same things, you know. Um, there's actually Dan Powell put on... I think it was six kilos in 24 hours.
0: Jesus.
1: Like, he he was in the, he, we lost him for a good half the day when he competed, because he competes for Aurora's. He was in the food hall eating. Um, and that man can put food away. I've never met someone who can put food away like that. But so all this is going on. And then you come home and it's just, it's literally just been surreal. Like, from, I, I landed on a Tuesday and I went then to the GQ Awards. Louise went to me, because I got off the plane at this point. There was a few, I'll, get, I'll be honest, there's a few alcohol beverages signed around the, the plane. You know, A lot nice. of drink was being consumed, as you do, because you're celebrating. And then I got a message off of Louise going, we need to talk. And I've gone, what have I done? Have I said something in the paper? Have I, have <laughs> I, have I, have I put my foot in it? And she goes to me, oh, no, uh, we've been asked to go to the GQ Awards. And I misheard, and I thought she'd be in Q. And I was like, why do we need to go to BQ? She goes, no, GQ. And I go, I've never heard of that, what it is. Like, literally, I'm the most unfashionable person on British judo. Like, literally, I get, I think I, I the, the famous story of me turning up on a trip in full GB kit and boat, boating shoes have been stuck with me for the most of my career. So for me to go to a fashion event with all these amazing people, like Paul Bettany, um, Vivian Westwood, all these people stood there. And I'm like this. Four hours ago, I was in the Pit village, like and I've come home straight into a GQ award going like. Oh sorry, you're still there, sorry. I'm still there. get sorry, called. sorry, sorry, apologies.
0: Everybody's away. everybody's been on this uh, this this episode so far.
1: Yeah, so all this is kicking off.
0: Um
1: and it was just—it was surreal. Like was the first—it's the first time I felt like an imposter, um, and it was just—it was surreal. And then I got to kind of do um, present an award at Sport Industry Awards, wow. and it was just—it was just like the, the time has just been surreal, and 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 like just to be kind of like recognized, because as I said, I do sport because I, I love doing judo, you know. And i never thought of getting to the Paralympics. I never dreamed of winning the Paralympics. I never dreamed of kind of doing what I did. I just, I just love doing judo. So it has been a dream come true. And, you know, I've got so many... I like, all who's been a massive impact. A like, lot of people have made a huge impact in my life. My mum, uh, Louise, Ian Johns. Like, everyone's had an impact in my life. Like Jeff Brady. because I actually forgot Jeff passed away two weeks before me fighting. So all then all that, I know, so Jeff Brady, a wonderful man, passed away two weeks before I flew out. So I was just like, I really wanted, to, so sadly he never saw me win the Pound of Gold Medal, but so all that then kind of emotions arise. over that. Is, I got to see he is he me, your
0: original judo coach? Yeah, he's my
1: original club coach. And he, saw, he kept watching me over the years and kept you know, giving me, he came to my Europeans and everything like that, so. it was just amazing like a really amazing time in my life um i just feel so lucky to kind of have done what i kind of did really
0: what's been the strangest or best opportunity that's come out of the yeah such hard work such effort what's the best thing well, yeah, what's the, what's the strangest, the best, the the thing, the consequence you're maybe not least expecting? It, it might be the GQ Awards, but I wonder if there's anything else that's know, come out who, and made you go, oh, what? Yeah.
1: oh, wow. It was the NBA. It was the NBA. Like, to be recognised. Like, I, again, I getting the NBA, I felt a bit of a, an imposter because I was like, because you say it's like, recognition for judas. And I was a bit like, I said to Louis, I it was like, I said, Louis, I do judo because I love it. Like, why am I being recognised for, for that? You know what I mean? Like, I felt really kind of a bit of an impossible that I got it because I, I do judo because I love doing judo. I love doing, doing judo because it took me out the darkest period of my life. I didn't do it because I was trying to serve anyone or doing it because I was saving someone. I was just doing it because it saved me. So to be recognised for it, I felt a bit of a kind of a... Impossible, a bit kind of a fraud for it. But then Louise then opened my eyes to it and was a bit like, you know, you do deserve this and you do kind of, you've worked hard for this. But it just, it feels surreal. Like I feel like really honored to be recognized for it and everything like that because, you know, I, I never thought I'd be an MBE. Like MBE after my name. Like I think a lot of people might call me a TIT, but not an MBE. You know what
0: I mean? Like, and it's just, it was, it, that's the best thing that's come out of it for me. Has it been challenging since Tokyo in that has, you're back in training now, like, have you had the same motivation? Like, again, a lot of athletes talk about a low when they come out of a games. And again, you were on such a high to, to again, to just get back into that normalcy. Has that been easy? Have it, again, you've been talking about how much you love judo and the passion for judo. But has it been an easy transition back into that day to day? Yeah, the
1: first month was chaotic I said do media and everything like that but then i kind of got back into it quite quickly because i wanted to be back like it's the bread and butter stuff that i love doing like the hard work kind of doing the judo doing the gym you know and like seeing a teammates and everything like that so i was craving to get back into it i was dying to get back into it and then i was a pretty sure again uh i had a bit of time off again of just over sort of christmas kind of able to have a proper break away from judo and a kind of a. Kind of just de kind of stress with everything because it is a bit hectic being dragged everywhere, doing interviews and everything like that. So it was a real kind of detox moment in December. But I just love being back in the sport. I love being kind of doing what I do and training. And it is times it's hard because you 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 know you, that person goes about the motivation. But then I think to myself, I'm not a world champion yet. I'm not a world medalist, well, world gold medalist, and I really want to be double power champion. And you know, anything's possible. And like, as long as you kind of know what you need to do and work hard, you know, I think, I think, I don't know, I don't know what the future's going to hold for me. And I'm just looking forward to doing it. Though. As long as I'm doing judo or, you know, doing the sport I love, I'm, I'm to see where the world takes me. You know, I, I think it's less pressure now, like. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. Yeah. So everything now is a huge bonus. Like, it's a huge bonus. And I've kind of really kind of thought about it like that. Like, I've achieved what I needed to achieve. I've achieved it for me. I've achieved for my family, my coach, my friends, my family. That's fine. But now, everything now is a huge bonus for me. So, like, winning every other medal is just a nice kind of feeling. And I'm doing it
0: with less pressure on my back, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I love that. Um. next stop Paris
1: yeah I hope so like you can never take anything for granted and it could all change like I think what I've learned the year it could all change in an instant but it's been ready to kind of adapt to that situation like for me they've took away under 100s now some plus 90 player so again it's like just see what happens you know it's 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 going to be what's going to be I'd love to get to Paris and like, I I'm aiming to go to Paris. I want to go to Paris, you know, but I'm going to work hard to get to Paris as well. It's not, this is not kind of took away. I'm still going to do what I do best and work hard and just see what happens. Like, you know, you can never, you can never predict the future, James. And I literally, I'm just going to enjoy these next two years and just love doing what I do. Because you don't do this sport as a job forever.
0: No, and I, I love that. I think it's been such a great uh time chatting to you and you're an incredible storyteller and i think what comes across as well is your passion uh, for the sport but like the, the community whether that's judo or you know outside of judo um yeah, thank you very much for giving me your time, man. I it is, it's genuine, it's real honour. I've been shooed up and down the map by some like very special players, you know, some Paralympic legends like Sam and yourself over the years. So it's again, it's great to ask you the questions that I wanted to ask you along the way. And you're again, you're an amazing storyteller. You're a great ambassador for the sport. So I hope we do see you in Paris. I hope you do carry on and, and you 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 get those opportunities. Um i
1: just i'm thank you because honestly you you know yourself you've helped me train over the years you've kind of put me put my head up my ass when they've my head up my ass <laughs> no, i'm not like, sure about
0: that that's uh yeah no no, you, no you, one you will know, believe that know, no never. Like
1: that. Yeah, Um, like literally like you've yeah you know, british judo i'm always gonna be grateful to british judo because they kind of they were they they took a gamble with me and they took a they believed in me and like let me kind of do what I wanted to do and like, let me kind of train at the center national training center, which is, again, it's a fantastic place to train. And I'm very lucky to train there. So I, you know, I'm, I'm the one to be grateful for everyone because, you know, I wouldn't have got to where I am today without people supporting me and believing. So I'm thankful to everyone else.
0: I mean, my, my biggest takeaway from all this, after all that is that, you know, we've chatted for almost two hours and we got to an hour before you realised that you hadn't mentioned your your fiance, and then the backtracking Ooh. that you did, the backtracking. <laughs> most mostly Wow. <laughs> um, Chris, if people want to uh, Skelly, Chris, I don't know. Yeah, I'll call you Skelly. But um, if people okay. want to follow your journey, like, are you on Instagram? Are you on WhatsApp? Are you a TikToker? You You strike me as a TikToker. I'm
1: Twitter. not a TikToker. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. But TikTok is now. Nah.
0: There nice. you go. There's the next world for you to conquer. <laughs> no, no. What, no. What, what's your handle? What's your handle? How can people find you? Uh,
1: I don't good question, actually. <laughs> um, so it's on Twitter. It's at ChristopherSKE2. On Instagram, what's on Instagram? Oh, it's Christopher.Skelly. And on Facebook, it's just Chris Skelly.
0: Boom. Um, Mate, genuinely, I've enjoyed every minute of this. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Uh, Guys, if you're listening, uh, all the usual nonsense, give it a retweet, share it, subscribe, and we'll catch you soon. Thank you for having me on. And I'm sorry about waffling for this amount of time. (laughs)
1: It's
0: been a pleasure.